Good evening, everyone, and welcome along to another Irish NFL show episode. I am delighted to welcome our first guest this evening, a good friend of the Irish NFL show. This guy has been supporting us uh, since the, the start. Delighted to, to welcome back from Pro Football Focus, Sam Monson. How are you doing, Sam? Doing well. Thanks for having me by. Are you still basking in uh, Ireland's uh, Test Series victory over New Zealand? Yeah, yeah, I actually am. Like, <laughs> it was fun to watch. I was on, uh, I was on holiday in Florida, in the Florida Keys, and I was watching from like the porch of the kind of hotel. There were like little, not a villa, but just a kind of room out in the you know little bungalowy things. So I was in like the porch of that, and watching it, and you know, watching the game's great. The result is fantastic, but I'm, I'm then like massively enjoying the fallout. You know, watching. New Zealand implode off the back of, you know, unacceptable loss to Ireland, watching the Irish media just kind of rehash, well, how the hell did that happen? And yeah, it's been fantastic. <laughs> you, because uh, there was a, a, a mailbag uh, you know, from PFF, I think, back after we lost the, the first test that um, threw yeah. some shade your way, right? Yeah, we had, you know, we get a lot of people email in with topic suggestions and we do a bunch of things with listeners. And one guy, signed off his email with a little crack about how you know the Irish rugby was getting wrecked by New Zealand after that first week where they lost to the Maoris and they lost to you know the, the first test and there's some guy from New Zealand so from that point on the uh, the tables turned significantly on that guy I forget what his name was well, yeah, I think certainly um, it's uh, it's been good over here, I can say, uh, enjoying basking in that while waiting for uh, the NFL to restart. And obviously this week, training camps are back. And uh, just prior to, to us uh, recording uh, this, um, we got news that uh, Julio Jones will be uh, Tom Brady's uh, new toy down in, in Tampa Bay. Um, what what are what's your kind of uh, immediate reaction to to that in terms of where where he he fits in? They, they, with Gage, I mean, Gage is a kind of underrated receiver as well, right? Yeah, yeah, really underrated. I think Gage could be in line for a pretty huge year in Tampa Bay, um, and an important position because kind of lost in the the analysis of Antonio Brown, you know, going nuts and celebrating his way off the field and out of the league, essentially is like he was a pretty important part of that offense still at that point. And, you know, maybe he wasn't playing quite at his peak along with Julio Jones a few years ago, but he was playing pretty well. And to not have him was a pretty big blow to Tom Brady into that passing attack. I think Russell Gage can fit into that role and, and be a really useful part of that offense. Julio Jones at this point, obviously he's declining. Obviously he's dealt with a lot of injuries, but he's a phenomenal, like, not even just a sort of luxury addition to an offense like this. You know, when you hear the other teams that were interested in a team like Green Bay, I don't know if I'd have loved his fit in Green Bay. Obviously, you're going to Aaron Rodgers, and that's a great quarterback to be with, but they kind of would have needed him to be the number one in Green Bay, right? Green Bay are interested because they might have the worst wide receiver room in the NFL, and Julio Jones has the potential to be that number one guy still if he can stay healthy. The Bucs don't really need him to be anything, right? Like if he's if he's nothing, if he's done, it doesn't really hurt them. He's just taken up a roster spot. If, on the other hand, it turns out that a healthy Julio Jones actually has some, you know, something left in the tank, some tread left on the tires, and in particular, if they can kind of keep him upright and still functioning, you know, deep into the season into the playoffs, 
I mean, that could be huge for them. Like all of a sudden, you know, see a lot of times these teams make it to the playoffs. Green Bay is a great example with Devontae Adams as the best wide receiver in the NFL. If a team figures out how to stop Devontae Adams, even if it's just by throwing two or three guys at him every play, you need something else, right? You need plan B and plan C and they don't have them and they haven't for a few years. And even Kansas City have seen that in recent seasons when, you know, it's obviously harder to stop two guys than one. But the Giants of all teams were able to like basically just bracket cover Tyreek Hill and Travis Kelsey last season. And he said, I don't care where you go with the ball, but it's not going to be to those two guys. Figure out something else. And that caused the Chiefs problem. So, you know, if, if teams figure out how to take away Tom Brady's favorite couple of targets in a game in the playoffs and Julio Jones is sitting there like ready to just go off against single coverage, you know, on a slot corner or whatever, that could be the difference between winning and losing a game in the most important period of the year. Absolutely. It'd be interesting to see how, how he slots in there. Um, and I suppose from going from the crushing inevitability of, of Tom Brady to uh, somebody you tweeted about over the, the summer uh, a couple of times and kind of asked the question, but now I'm going to ask you here, why do people lose their minds about Baker Mayfield? <laughs> why, why is it impossible for people to be in any way objective when it comes to Baker? Yeah, it, I don't think it's entirely specific to Baker Mayfield. I think generally we live in this world now where everything's polar, everything is, you know, a schism between one extreme and the other, and there's no area, there's no ground, middle ground, there's no area for nuance, there's no room for nuance. And with a quarterback like Baker Mayfield and this, the career he's had so far, you have to live in the nuance because there haven't really been you know, he isn't one of the best five quarterbacks in the NFL, and he isn't one of the worst five quarterbacks in the NFL. So any analysis of him has to live in the middle somewhere, and people just don't want to be there. So what's happened with his career so far is number one overall pick, a guy I think that brings that, you know, attitude and that cockiness and that kind of abrasiveness to him. And those guys are always walking a tightrope because when you act like that, there's a bunch of people that want to hate you. And the only, the only way of avoiding that is to be so good that those guys can't really say anything, right? It, it, I've said this before, but if you compare the way Baker Mayfield sort of talks to people and, and the, his attitude on the field and that kind of abrasive stuff and just compare it to Joe Burrow, right? What's the difference? Joe Burrow answers questions a lot of times like he's sort of fed up with the question, like he doesn't want to entertain that kind of crap. He has a, a nasty streak on the field. Like he behaves in exactly the same way as Baker, but he's won and he's looked fantastic doing it. So no, so that kind of the, the naysaying element doesn't have anything to say. They just have to sit there and shut up until Joe Burrow stinks for a while. And then those guys I'm sure will rush back to the surface. But for Baker, we've had the Freddie Kitchens year. And then we had a last year where it was a disaster for him. And so those people are just, they're full of, confidence now because the last baker we saw was this injury crippled dude pitching the ball straight to defenders every two minutes and that gives those guys all the ammunition in the world but like any analysis of baker mayfield you have to look at him and say all right so far he has not been you know a top top tier quarterback and that immediately makes it tricky because now you're getting to that stage of do you give him a big contract or not um but that's the discussion that should be had to go from there to I mean, is there any real difference between Baker and Jacoby Brissett or maybe Case Keenum has a stronger arm than Baker Mayfield? Like, wait, that's just 
that's madness, right? Like that, those are the comments of people that have an ax to grind that have never watched him play that are on drugs, like whatever the hell it is, that's not rational analysis, but that's what you hear about Baker Mayfield at the moment. And I suppose on, on Baker's new team, is Matt Rule's seat the hottest in the NFL? Yeah, I think it probably is. I, I would, you know, if you were, I, I haven't actually looked at what the odds are for like first fired coach or whatever, but if you were given odds on Matt Rule making it to the end of the season or not, I would probably take the not end of that. I think there's a pretty good chance that at some point he gets fired over the course of the year. But Baker Mayfield is his best chance of that not happening, right? Like Baker winning that job, putting up competent performances, and all of a sudden Carolina looking like a better team than people thought they were, you know, possibly riding a really good defense, possibly riding Christian McCaffrey. Like Mayfield is his chance of keeping that job. Yeah, I think um, bringing in Baker um, gives him a better chance maybe than Teddy Bridgewater gave to uh, Vic Fangio uh, last summer. Yeah. Um, Some you, I can tell you, you caused consternation in our group chat with a, a tweet back in June where you said, if Josh Allen never happened, Brian Dable's resume looks very different. And um, the Giants fan on this show uh, nearly <laughs> lost his mind. Um, I, I'm actually go, I'm going to go slightly different, though, on that, because, um, you know, uh, Brian, Brian isn't here to and I'm sure he'd be interested. But I, I'm interested, I suppose, in Nathaniel Hackett, first year, first time head coach with the with the Broncos now has big, shiny toy in, in Russell Wilson, who's who's come across. Should the Broncos have any concerns about the way in which things have kind of played out in Green Bay over the last few years? Um, or does the job that he did as OC maybe in Jacksonville give enough confidence to say he can do the job? I think he can do the job. The, the, the interesting thing in Denver is the Russell Wilson dynamic, right? And for the last few years, it's been very easy. And Mike Sando wrote this quarterback tears article. It's a great read every year um, in the athletic. And it's interesting because it's just, it's stuff full of like anonymous quotes from personnel, uh, front office personnel, from coaches, from all these kinds of things. And some of them are nuts. And, you know, it's actually amazing reading some of the opinions of like legitimately high ranking people within the NFL. And some of them are kind of dead on the money and actually interesting points. And somebody brought up this thing about, Russell Wilson, how it's been very easy to basically hate on Pete Carroll in recent years, right? And, and blame him for everything that's gone, that's happened in Seattle. And I think it's a much more complicated conversation than that. Like Russell Wilson slid to the third round of the draft because he's a short quarterback and the NFL hates short quarterbacks. And obviously he's massively overperformed that draft position, right? The third round thing was, was ridiculous. He's a much better quarterback than that. But it doesn't mean that being a short quarterback, therefore, doesn't have any impact whatsoever, right? And Kyla Murray and Russell Wilson, and, and to an extent, guys like Baker Mayfield and Drew Brees and whatever, they have to play the game in a slightly different way than quarterbacks like Tom Brady and Peyton Manning, who are six foot five and can see everything, right? That's just a fact. Now, it doesn't mean necessarily that it's a less efficient way, but it might be. And Russell Wilson has kind of developed this style where he doesn't spend all his time, you know, in the pocket, he, he'll move the pocket, he'll run around in the, in the backfield and essentially create his own pocket, right? Just get out of the pocket, find some space, and then be able to find deeper 
or bigger uh, shots deep downfield, make these massive throws, the, the moon balls that Chris Collinsworth talks about and all that kind of stuff, right? Those are massive plays. They offset a lot of inefficiency. And, you know, they're some of the most valuable plays in the NFL. But we all act, everybody's been sort of acting like, you know, just let Russ cook and feed him and stop running the ball and all these kinds of things. It doesn't necessarily mean that you can just take the quick game stuff, add it onto that, and now you get like the most efficient quarterback in the NFL. I think there is a degree to which Russell Wilson is never going to be as good as these other guys at the short, quick, uh, quick game stuff, the intermediate, you know, over the middle of the field kind of stuff, because he's not working with the same skill set as those guys. And I think it's difficult for coaches to figure out where that balance lies, right? Because obviously you don't want to take away the most valuable plays in the NFL, but you want to figure out how to get him slightly more efficient with the other stuff. And I think it's been very easy in recent years to just say, well, Pete Carroll's an idiot. Pete Carroll should like let Russell Wilson do what he does more often, right? Just put the ball in his hands. That's how you get the best Russell Wilson. So I think what we're going to learn this year is to what extent are those people right? And to what extent is this actually a very difficult problem for any NFL coach to try and crack, right? It's not, is Russell Wilson good or not? It's how do you make sure, how do you get Russell Wilson to play as one of the best three quarterbacks in the NFL? Because we know he can get there, right? We've seen that ceiling in his play, but we also know that if you screw up the balance, if you get it wrong, number three overall drops to number six, seven, eight overall. And that's like, those are the differences. Those are the margins you're playing with here between like, you're an absolute Super Bowl contender or, I mean, you're good. You're way better than having Drew Locke as your starter. But can you go toe-to-toe with Patrick Mahomes and, you know, those the best quarterbacks in the NFL in the postseason? And I think that is the the problem facing Nathaniel Hackett right now and kind of what, what makes Denver one of the most interesting teams in the NFL to watch going into this year. And, and I suppose touching on, we talked about the polarization that you, you see, um, you know, in opinions now and talking about Pete Carroll, who's had great success and people just saying he's an idiot. But would he be an idiot if they go into this season with Geno Smith or, and or Drew Locke? I don't think he'd be an idiot. I think it's just, uh, I think that would tell you where they are, right? I think if you go into a season with Geno Smith and Drew Locke as your two quarterbacks on the roster, you're not interested in winning this year, right? You are you're just getting through this year to then, you know, rebuild this thing and, and sort of go to year two of the rebuilding project next year, um, which is fine. I think you kind of, you made that decision when you traded away, away Russell Wilson, right? At the point where you trade away Wilson, who has been the thing keeping this franchise pointed in the right direction for the last several years, as soon as you get rid of a, a person like that, you are essentially saying we're rebuilding from the ground up. And at that point, I would say it's almost a it's almost counterproductive and and certainly sort of counterintuitive to then say, well, let's try and bring in a new quarterback that's clearly not as good as Russell Wilson. Like, well, we already have two of those, right? So why why bother adding the third for whatever cost that's going to be? I, I mean, I think there's a reasonable chance that they run into this year with those two, you know, let them battle it out, let them muddle their way through the season presumably end up with a top five draft pick and then try and get their quarterback. Yeah, just it's an interesting move for a 70-year-old man when you consider... It is, really is. 
Alex Ferguson was given Robin Van Persie kind of as the cherry on top. Right. Pete's tearing it down to, to try and uh, and build it back up. And but what, and maybe another team, and, and this touches on a piece you wrote um, for PFF back in May, where you were kind of ranking the situations for second year QBs. And at that time, you had Zach Wilson, number one, and Trey Lance, number two. But you said Lance had the best environment, but the problem was the other QB in the building. Well, today the 49ers come out and announce that it is going to be Trey Lance season, it would seem. Would would going off of that, would you flip those those two now? Um, no, I think because they they still need to get rid of Jimmy G. You know, like situation is better because at least Trey Lance is going to be starting, but I still think it's a problem if Jimmy G is is looming over his shoulder if they can't get rid of him. And I think they will. Like I I think now that he's definitely not the starter, I think they'll release him before week one. You know, they'll get through training camp, they'll get through preseason, and then they'll cut him before his deal becomes guaranteed. But I don't expect him to be there on the roster uh, once we hit the regular season. But if he is, like, you know, you you may be better because you have a better backup quarterback, a better contingency, all those kinds of things. But Trey Lance does not want Jimmy G hanging around over his shoulder, you know, waiting for a couple of bad plays by Trey Lance. Obviously the media would be clamoring for the backup when that happens, but more importantly, I think a good chunk of the locker room would be as well. Right. And you listen to reports, Jimmy Garoppolo is a popular guy within that 49ers locker room. I mean, there's a bunch of players that have been there for a long time that know he was a couple of plays away from winning them a Super Bowl ring that, you know, don't look at him as this guy, as the sort of, busted flush this failure that a lot of other people do so more importantly if Trey Lance starts badly and has a couple of rough games like a third of the locker room is going to be there saying why are we not why are we not starting this guy who nearly won us a Super Bowl and that is a problem that you don't want that is a problem that Trey Lance doesn't want and in, in terms of Wilson then and, and his second year, I mean, the Jets, you know, are going on paper because that's all you can do when it comes to draft, but they had a pretty nice draft. They brought in Uzama um, and Conklin in terms of the tight ends for him. They bring in Garrett Wilson. He did not have, I think um, I, I was reading like 10 big time throws on the average 6.1 yards. Um, what, like, he, do you see enough in him to 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 actually take the step? Obviously, he has that special ability. We saw it at college level, but can he take that step in the NFL? Yeah, I mean, realistically, Zach Wilson may have been the third best Jets quarterback last year, and the Jets didn't have any good quarterbacks last year. So that sort of shows what he did as a rookie. It's definitely concerning. Um, I, you can't have seen anything from Zach Wilson's rookie year to have you confident that we're going to get that player, you know, the, the BYU Zach Wilson going forward. Now we may do, but I'm just saying his rookie year doesn't give you any evidence to say that's going to happen. Um, and even this is true for Lawrence as well, but I think especially for Zach Wilson for guys that were talked about as incredible prospects, like Lawrence was the best quarterback prospect to come along since at least Andrew Luck. That's 2012. Other people said Peyton Manning. That's 98. There were even people that went back as far as John Elway. That's 83, I think. So, like, legit, that's, that's legitimately the definition of generational, right? We're going 2012, 98, 83. Like, that's the kind of pathway that Trevor Lawrence was put on. And there were people out there who put Zach Wilson ahead of him. 
right? The only people I think that had anybody above Trevor Lawrence were the Zach Wilson truthers. So that's a really high caliber of like of opinion on these guys pre-draft. And in particular, it was built on like just what they're capable of doing, right? Trevor Lawrence has been amazing since day one in college, but Zach Wilson has these amazing throws that even Trevor Lawrence doesn't have in the bag. We really didn't see that from either guy as rookies. You saw a little bit of it with Trevor Lawrence, but not enough. And then Zach Wilson almost showed none of those plays. And that that's the really sort of concerning thing is that like he has so far to go just in terms of the basic stuff to get him comfortable enough that he can then start making like the crazy big plays that we know he's capable of. So I love what the Jets have done, not just this offseason, but the last few years. I think they've built really well. And, you know, if you go back a couple of years and look at that 2018 class again, Josh Allen stepped into a pretty terrible looking situation with the Bills. And they did a really good job of building a roster around him. They got better on the offensive line. They got better with their wide receivers in a couple of steps over two years. The defense got better. And all of a sudden, Josh Allen goes from like a horrible situation to a great situation. And he goes from looking terrible to looking phenomenal. So I I don't know how much is Josh Allen, how much of it is the situation, how much of it is the coaching. And I don't know there's a way of telling that, but the Jets are sort of following a very similar approach to Buffalo. And now the thing that we need to see is, okay, now we need to see Zach Wilson step into that and take advantage of it. So I still think that Wilson has the best situation on paper, but he's the missing link. Now he now needs to step up and actually take advantage of that situation and show that he's the future. Yeah, I know lots of interesting stuff, I think, around second-year QBs and certainly the talk over the last week uh, from Jags players as they've come back to trading camp uh, leads one to believe that um, Urban Meyer no longer being there will certainly be a a big factor for, for Trevor Lawrence as well. One of the other stories of the, the past week, and I know that you and Steve um, discussed this um, on uh, PFF, um, was in relation to, to Kyler Murray and the fact that um, his play, you know, really probably warranted that big contract in, in terms of what he does, the big control rate, stuff like that. But the concern was kind of around the leadership and you referenced the Manning cast, which, you know, I, I, I keep going back to that will make that Broncos cards game very interesting in terms of Russell Wilson against Kyler Murray. But then um, the news breaks, right, um, about this study clause. Mm. And given, you know, what, what you were, you know, the, the concerns that existed around that kind of leadership stuff and, and, and the off-the-field off stuff, maybe, does that give a, even more pause? Or, or is this just like, why, how did this, how did this leak? Because nobody comes out of this looking well. No, well, that's a separate question, I think, is like nobody wants that out in the open, right? Like his agent, Kyler Murray's camp certainly does not want it out there that Kyler Murray (laughs) doesn't do study on his own. And the Cardinals don't want it either because they don't look good signing, you know, this this quarterback who doesn't do any work to the the, to a giant contract. So that's its own question is like, who the hell leaked that and why? Um, But the the issue is. Like you don't put that in a contract unless you're concerned that it's a problem, right? So that doesn't exist as a clause unless the Cardinals are concerned that Kyler Murray is not doing enough prep on his own. And he's said things in the past that kind of indicate that, right? That if he said stuff like, you know, I'm not one of these quarterbacks that goes and watches analyst tape because 
like I just see it, right? I, I, I see it better than other people. I don't need to lock myself in a room for 28 hours straight watching tape. And you're like, yeah, but I mean, look, that might be true. You might be a savant compared to most quarterbacks. On the other hand, you're, in order to be the very best one on the planet, there's probably another one of those guys out there and that guy's doing that work, right? Like you're telling me that Tom Brady and Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers and Patrick Mahomes, like none of those guys see it the way you do. Because if one of them does and they're each doing, you know, 10 hours of study every day and you're not, they're better than you. And you're never going to catch them up because you're not doing that work. So it is a concern. Like it's before that came out, that that was the concern, right? Is, is does Kyla Murray sort of put in the time, does he have the same intangible qualities that those guys have, the same leadership, the same ability to, you know, completely overwhelm the mental side of it? Um, we don't know. And then this is this comes out and it's like, okay, that's another one of those questions along the very same line. So that's the thing I think that Murray is going to need to prove is not an issue, that he does enough study that he will be you know, on top of the game, like these other guys and go back to the Russell Wilson thing we talked about earlier, right? Kyla Murray has to play the game differently than Tom Brady and, and these other quarterbacks because he's so small. And that would lead me to say that he should be doing more tape study rather than less, right? Because you don't just need to know it as well as these other guys. You need to know it in a better way because you have to play differently to them. So you need to devise not just like what works against this team, but what works for me specifically against this team, because I can't run some of the things that these other guys do. Um, Sam, I think it was, um, was it the, within the last week, the PFF's top 50 players um, mm. came out and the Cowboys, two of their O-line guys were in the top 50. Given that, that given the weapons that they have, um, he's given the, the cap, the cap number, he, didn't have a particularly good end to last season. Um, is is there sneaky pressure on Dak Prescott? Like not in terms of him losing it, but should the should the should the league be looking at it going, you've all this around you. Um, the, the Cowboys have kind of given you what you need. You need to really step up here. Yeah, I mean, you know, the way it works in Dallas is Mike McCarthy's the guy that's going to be on the hot seat. And that that's already kind of started, you know, this week. We've heard quotes from Jerry Jones being like, oh, Mike McCarthy wouldn't be here if I didn't think he was the guy to uh, to lead this team to a Super Bowl. And I've got options, you know, that very pointed bit at the end, like I get rid of him tomorrow. I can replace him with somebody else. Um, but yeah, like, look, Dak Prescott has shown that he's capable of really high level play. Um, he hasn't necessarily shown that he's capable of it for as long as he needs to be. And he's also, I think, shown that he is one of the most uh, susceptible quarterbacks to changes in his environment. Um, if you, if he has a great supporting cast, and by that I mean both receivers and offensive line, he can play at a great level. But you start messing with either one of those things, even just a little bit, I think you see his place falls off quite significantly. And it's not like he becomes bad but he goes from being elite to being, you know, good, not great. And, you know, it's just every, like the Russell Wilson thing, every, the amount you mess with that slider, you go from being elite to like pretty good to, you know, good. Every time you mess with that slider, it just becomes harder to win a Super Bowl, right? It's not that you can't do it. It's just that for every to offset the, the, the decrease in that slider, you need to push up four or five other sliders across the roster 
to make up for that. And nothing can make it the kind of impact that a quarterback can. So Dak Prescott, he's, he's lost a wide receiver, right? They trade away Amari Cooper in the offseason. Michael Gallup won't be 100% ready, so he's going to take a little while. They're going to be leaning on C.D. Lamb, on you know tight ends and, and running backs out of the backfield, on a rookie, Jalen Tolbert, to come in. It might end up being a net equal from a year ago, but I doubt it, and certainly not early. So, yeah, Dak Prescott is going to be the guy that has to say, well, in the past, my play would drop off if I, if I lost some efficiency with my receiving group. Can't happen this year. I can't, can't let that happen. Dak Prescott needs to up his game in order to offset what he's about to lose. So, yeah, I mean, I get your question. He he should be um, under a little bit of pressure because it is kind of on him, right? He's got, even if that, that supporting cast isn't perfect, and even if it's worse than it was a year ago, it's still good. Like, it's still a very good group of offensive weapons and playmakers and supporting casts. Therefore, you know, Dak needs to be the guy that makes the difference. Yeah, and, and I mean, it, it is the, the NFC East, and, and obviously the Eagles have made some good moves, but it, it's not exactly the, the strongest division, so it will be, be something to, to keep an eye on. Um, maybe as, as we draw towards a, a close, um, just in terms of um, kind of a, for, for, the, for the Bengals, um, it could have all been so different had Aaron Donald not ruined things on that final drive. But mm. since, since then, um, you know, obviously news today around Joe Burrow having the, his appendix out. But in terms of not getting the contract done with Jesse Bates, and I think you were writing about this even last year um, in terms of, of getting the, the, the deal done. Um, they didn't get it done. It sounds like he he says he's not going to play on the, the tag. He's not going to be there for, for camp. Um, do you think there is a kind of an ideal landing spot for, for Jesse Bates if if they do decide to, to trade him? Yeah, I think it's probably, I, I think it's very difficult now to hold out. You know, the, the financial penalties are essentially so strong for holding out through camp, through preseason, through all those kinds of things that people show up, you know, even if you make noises about how you don't want to play on the tag and blah, 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 it's just, it's not worth it financially to make that point and push it too far. So you see all these hold-ins, right? Where guys show up to camp and then they like develop a mysterious calf problem and you can't do anything, right? So you end up essentially at camp, you've shown up, you're, you're fulfilling your contractual obligations, but you're not actually doing anything that might get you hurt and risk that contract going forward. So I would imagine that's what he'll end up trying to, to do. I'm still not sure the Bengals give him the deal, though. I, I, I'm always a little bit reluctant to kind of attribute too much Machiavellian smarts to something that might just be being cheap. Um, but if you were the Bengals and you were looking at Jesse Bates and knowing what we know about safety play and how volatile it is and how guys can be amazing one year and not great the next year, like Bates has got one elite year in the NFL. Uh, that elite year was incredible, but even the other years that have been sort of good have not been anywhere near that level. So if you're, if you're Cincinnati and you, you know, you know, all about safety value and where to invest your money and looking down the line with now knowing you're going to have to pay Joe Burrow and Jamar Chase and T Higgins and all these guys, you might be looking at that and saying, I don't know if we want to throw the absolute bag at Jesse Bates because we're probably not going to get that amazing year again. Um, at which point, like we'll pay him short term, the, the franchise tag, whatever, and then we'll kind of let him walk and we'll replace him. And there'll be a little bit of an uproar, but it's financially better. Like, 
I, I and I kind of get the impression that they've been taking that approach all along with Jesse Bates. And the only way it goes south is if he does, you know, completely dig his heels in and, you know, create that kind of problem, which has become very difficult to do these days. So I think it's, it's kind of a game of chicken. I, I don't really see the Bengals blinking. And I think Bates probably will. And, and maybe finally, uh, just to, to move away from the NFL slightly, but tangentially, because one of the things you guys did um, on the, the podcast last season was discussed like which animal would make uh, a huge <laughs> contribution on an NFL roster. I'm wondering what Ireland now facing into uh, the, the World Cup next year and the fact that we have yet to make a semifinal, but we're sitting number one in the, the world rankings. Is there an animal that the, the Irish rugby team could bring in to, to play in the, the 15 that would make a difference, that could get us over the hump to get to a semifinal or a final? Well, first of all, we need to talk about what cramp that the, uh, the, the seeding process is for the World Cup, because right now the top four teams in the world are in the same part of the pool. They're going to face each other in the quarterfinals. So 50% of the top teams in the world can't make the semifinal, like literally cannot do it because of how they seeded it. So it's still entirely possible that despite being the number one team in the world, even if we maintain that all the way through next year, we end up facing the second best team in the world in the quarterfinals get knocked out. Like that's, that's obnoxious. Um, as good as Ireland have been, you have to worry about the front row depth, right? Furlong or Porter goes down, we're in trouble. So I, I'm all in favor of finding the largest, most uh, immovable animal we can and plug him in as, on the front row, even as just uh, depth, you know, off the bench. So, you know, you always default to either a gorilla or a grizzly bear. I think those are your two starting points of, you know, en enough mobility, obviously monstrous strength. Gorilla brings opposable thumbs. That would be useful in terms of passing the ball, staying with the, the you know, being able to be used as a, an attacking force as well. But, uh, but you know, what the bear loses in opposable thumbs, you can argue he brings back in terms of being like twice the size. True. A, a hippo could be quite useful as well. I think that would be quite something to see somebody try to remove the, the ball from the hippo's mouth. I, I worry about a hippo's, you know, stamina. Like uh, that would be a problem. True, that, that, that's, a, that's a fair point. But at, at full pelt, it would be even more remarkable than Lomu uh, running over those, uh, the English players uh, all, the, all those years ago. What a, what a wonderful sight. And what, a, what a way to, to end uh, today's uh, <laughs> uh, recording. Sam, I just want to thank you for, as always, taking the time to, to join us. Always enjoy what you do over on um, PFF. You can check out Sam on the, the podcast um, with Steve it's always a great listen and his stuff um, that, that he writes is always fantastic look we we could be sitting here in a few weeks and we might have one or two Irish guys who've made the final 53 so there might be a lot to talk about in the, the course of the, the season uh, for Irish guys in the NFL but Sam Monson thanks very much anytime thanks for having me